Welcome to Mystic Dog Mama, the podcast for soul-led dog mamas, where you'll discover how to best nourish your dog and yourself, mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Dr. Alexia Miller. I'm so glad you've joined us for part two of my conversation with archaeologist David Ian Howe. If you didn't catch part one, I highly recommend you go to episode two and listen to that first. In today's episode, David and I talk candidly about our personal journeys. You'll hear me share more of my story about how Lucky came into my life, and we both share what it means to find and embrace our own unique expressions in the world, as well as what it means to allow those expressions to grow and evolve. We also chatter about our shared experiences of surviving academia. Since David and I talk about crossroads, I wanted to ask you, What are some crossroads moments that you've had, and how did you navigate them? I also wanted to mention that, although I brought it up in episode one, I thought it would be useful to bring it up again here. If you're having questions about what your core values are and how you can use them to explore what purpose looks like to you, I have a free PDF on three easy steps to discover your core values, or what I like to call your unique compass points. I've used this tool a lot with coaching clients, and it always gets rave reviews. So if you'd like your own completely free copy, just message me on Instagram at Mystic Dog Mama. Okay, since I introduced David and his work in part one, we're just going to jump right in today. Here we go. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, what what exactly is it that you, you're a nutritionist? Or a dog I nutritionist? am. I am. Yeah, I'm do I've done a massive career pivot going into canine nutrition. Okay. And my background is I have a PhD in art oh, wow. and climate change essentially. So cool. yeah, I I was using participatory art and design which is about I might create something like an object in order to facilitate conversations and engagements and my specific focus in my practice that I was what I was researching was how that can help individuals to engage with wicked problems. These like problems that have no one clear solution and that anything you do is going to trigger a problem in something else. So like climate change, right? how, how they can engage with that at an individual level and um, how that all turned into what I'm doing with, with Lucky is I had come to, I'd finished a postdoc and was like, this just doesn't feel right. I feel like I'm really questioning a lot of what I'm doing with my life and was kind of in one of those crossroads moments. And my mom said, why don't you come and spend an extended Christmas break here in in Mexico? And so I came in December of 2019. And while I was here, COVID hit. And so I was looking at, do I go back to the UK or do I stay here? So I stayed um, with my mom. And at the time I'd had this idea that I wanted to do some sort of pilgrimage. My mom had actually walked the Camino de Santiago a couple of of years before. And she didn't do it for like religious reasons, but more of like just a personal quest and and 
personal exploration. And I wanted a version of that for myself. So I was thinking about like, what would that look like? And one of the things that I also do is I read tarot cards. Tarot I've used for many years as a form of self-reflection and as a way of working with the shadow side. And in the Rider Waite Smith deck, which is kind of the sort of standard deck that a lot of people go off of, the there is a card that is represents, depending on how you read it, either the beginning or the end of the fool's journey. So the tarot is very much about this kind of archetypal story of the fool going on a journey and and discovering himself in a variety of different contexts. And on that particular card, the imagery is of this young sort of jester-like figure with a knapsack, you know, like on a stick kind of thing, about to take a leap off of a cliff. And there's a little white dog right Mm. at his side accompanying him. And there was something about that imagery that I just, I I, I don't even know how to describe it because it was captivating, but it was like, there was something more going on for me with that. You were drawn to it. I was very drawn to it. And I have wanted a dog forever, but I have lived a very nomadic life. And so in my mind, I had always said, I'm not in a stable enough place or position to get a dog now. So one day, like one day in the future, I will eventually do that. And I started recognizing while I was here, I was really, really drawn to dogs. And there, I mean, there are stray dogs everywhere in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're going to come across them. And I was at the beach one day having actually a really difficult time where I was like, I'm in this beautiful place and I am incredibly depressed. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know what I want to be doing. You know, what does that, that look Mm -hmm. like for me? And as I'm sitting there, these two little dogs start running towards me. And one of them is this little white pup. And this woman is chasing down afterwards and says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This one's mine. I'm fostering this one. Do you know of anybody who might want a dog? And I was like, no. And she's like, would you like a dog? And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm just visiting. I can't have a dog. But that ignited something in me where all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I really do want one. And yeah. maybe I am open to it. That wasn't lucky, but so I like kind of fast forward as I was still in this place, I went to a local curandero, a healer, like a folk healer. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I sort of like needed my chakras clearing or something like, what could I do to kind of like shake some of this feeling? And I, I had a session with him and I went and I told him this and he just chuckled. He just laughed at me and said, you don't need your chakras clearing. You're a bruja, a witch. Like you, know, you, you work with energy. He's like, you've got to learn to work with your energy differently. And he said, and by the way, pay attention right now, especially because dogs and cats that pass your path, come across your path, they're healers for you. And I thought, well, that's interesting that I've had all of this dog stuff kind of going on, but then kind of dismissed it. And literally like two or three days later, we were going into hard lockdown here. And um, my mom had given her cell phone number to all of the neighbors in our little compound and just reminding them of her number. And like, if they needed anything, let them know to let us know. And one of them comes knocking on the door and says, is there any chance you can foster this pup? And I was like, yeah, I could foster and didn't see the dog. I go over to meet the dog and it's Lucky who at the time was a little like two kilo little white chihuahua. And I was like, that's the little dog 
in the fool card. He is accompanying me on this pilgrimage. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that looks like. And he has been. And I think it, in some level, on some level, like I had sort of been romanticizing what this might look like. And the reality has been very different. But the diff- the way in which reality has been different has catalyzed where I'm going now. He ended up presenting with a lot of health issues. And that got me looking at nutrition and the role of nutrition and kind of questioning if I don't want to feed myself processed foods for my entire life, why am I feeding him processed foods for his Mm -hmm. entire life? And I talked to my vet here and she was like, yeah, I think you need to start making his food. I don't know anything about this. So you're going to have to learn it on your own. And I just went on this deep dive researching all of this, but what has ended up happening is that my background in the climate change stuff and really mm-hmm. what that was driven by was being able to make all these different connections that ask us at the core of my climate change research was it's not so much a scientific problem that we have to apply technology to. We have to, again, get to the root. What is causing this? And it's a behavioral and cultural issue. We have created this issue as a result of how we think we should use resources about what we think is success about how we see ourselves in the world. And therefore we take, we take action from those beliefs. And that is what has created all this. So it's the same sort of thing when I'm looking at health. So I wanted to take a holistic perspective on Lucky's health and see what is actually going on here. And instead of just trying to treat the symptom, let's get to the heart of what's going on. And that has taken me into pursuing canine nutrition professionally in large part, because I wanted to be able to offer people what I was looking for when Mm -hmm. I was stuck in that place of like, just not knowing what to do with them. But it's also incorporated like Reiki and different healing energy, energy work and looking at the environment that I'm creating for him and taking kind of trauma-based perspective as well. Like when I apply that lens to how I'm working with him, how does that create a different response in his body? Um, so that's kind of long-winded answer, but that's how it all came. It was not an intended, I'm going down to study canine nutrition. It's been very much like a response to really being open, really being present to like, okay, so what do I do now? What am I being asked to do now and be willing to make this pivot, but seeing that it's still me that has come to make this pivot and bringing all of these experiences and the knowledge that I've gained through those experiences to apply it. And then look at how, again, lucky being my mirror, how is he challenging me about how I'm showing up in the world? How is he challenging me with, with how I'm looking at sustainability in my community with like how I am uh, procuring food for him, like meats and that kind of a thing. And um, just sort of like reflecting on those questions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I legitimately though that um, I've wanted to get a PhD just to have like doctor. Um, But what I would do with my PhD is what I'm doing now. So I just kind of felt like I would get to the point where you were at, where it's like, what am I doing? Uh, (laughs) So no, I, I, and knowing a lot of postdocs and friends that have their PhDs that are professors now too, like, I think what you did is a hundred percent the right decision that a lot of people are afraid to do. Um, cause Thank you, you get, yeah, no, I, I've seen it. And like some friends are professors and they, I can tell thought they'd love it and they hate it. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, like it, it takes courage to, to step out of that. And it sounds like everything that just happened with you is, uh, that's good. Like, I'm glad it, glad that happened. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been really good. And it's, it's also again, looking at how anything that's happening in the external is really asking me to reflect on who I am beyond the conditioning of who I think I should be or how I think life should be or what I think I should be doing all of that getting to kind of the core of that. And I think this kind of a pivot that I've done where it looks like 180 from what I was doing. And, uh, you know, I have quite a few friends that are like, what on earth are you doing? And like, you've got a doctorate. Why are you not using that? It's like, well, I am using it. Yeah. I am using it. And it's, and it's life experience and it's personal experience. And it allowed me to kind of think the way that I think. And in fact, the biggest thing I think that came out of my PhD experience was in my Viva. I had two examiners that were incredibly intimidating to me. And one of them in particular, I could not read her facial expression at all. It was like, no way I could pick up on what she, what she was thinking. And it was like, just like the most obscure kind of question after question after question. And I thought, I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, I have failed. And mm. I left, they asked you to leave the room while they kind of debate what they're going to do with you. And I went into this room and it was like five o'clock in the afternoon. So all the offices were, you know, people were vacated. I'm there in this dark room on my own. And is this, sorry, is this your, like your comps or is this your actual defense of your dissertation? This is the actual defense. Okay. Okay. And so you go in and you do this presentation. It started off with, I had asked my um, supervisor, do I need to prepare like a PowerPoint presentation, a formal presentation? She said, no, just have some slides of your work so that you can refer back to it. And I go in and the first thing they asked me is, so you've got your presentation? Oh no. And I was like, oh <laughs> my God. So I had to wing it. Wow. That's and my worst nightmare. <laughs> it is. It is. And I am, I mean, I'm a Virgo. I am organized. I like to know that I know what I'm doing, what I'm talking about and feel that's my way of kind of feeling comfortable in the moment is doing right. as much prep ahead of time. So that was, I mean, yeah, literally my worst nightmare. It was the hottest day it had been. I was like sweating, miserable, awful. And I go through this really gut-wrenching, terrible kind of experience where, I mean, I'm even just trying to pay attention to what's the question they just asked me, you know, like yeah. your mind is like going crazy. What did they just ask me? What am I actually saying? I'm not even present for the words coming out of my mouth. And then I, they asked me to leave and I'm replaying all this mm -hmm. and convinced myself that I had failed. And just this like wave of nausea comes up and just breathe. Then they come back and they collect me and they bring me back to the room and sit me down. And I mean, you could cut the tension with a knife, right? Like I'm just like, oh my God. And the one who I especially could not read said, well, we're not going to beat around the bush. And it was that tone. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And she, yeah. said, she said, congratulations, doctor. And I oh. was like, <laughs> holy crap. And they said to me, which is probably one of the biggest compliments I think I've ever had um, in the academic context was, we want a map of your brain how did you pull all of these things together and then write about it in such a clear and compelling way? Wow. 
And I was like, what? But what it did for me as well is it offered me the opportunity to see that the way that I operate and I assumed everybody else did, not everybody else does. And I think that's the same for all of us. Like our unique way of engaging with the world is unique. Going back to what we were saying about dogs and everything being unique expressions, we are. And how do we embrace that? And then actually look at how we use that to our own advantage. And by doing that, we are contributing to the wider world. It's by honoring who we are and truly being who we are in all of what we think of as faults. You know, all we think we should be doing some something a certain way that actually in honoring our, you could call it your own truth or, you know, being who you truly are yeah. is the gift. It is what you here to you are here to do. And whatever that kind of manifests as, it's not about doing a particular job. It's just that you being you and being strong enough and committed enough and confident enough to do that. That is the work. That's the job you have here. Yeah. Um, do do you have more time to talk? Or do we do we have to end? This? Yeah, sure. Okay. No, I didn't. I just uh, didn't want to take up too much of your time. I'm I'm free today. Uh, okay. <laughs> that is cool, though. I mean, one, yeah. Congrats, and like, I remember when I got my master's, I just like slumped over after I had to come out of the room and then come back into the room. Like when he, they were like, "You passed." I like slumped over inside and my professor like patted me on the back and he's like it's over <laughs> i was like yes thank you uh but another thing they told me in my pers- or defense and they even told my prospectus too was that like presentations are my like a teacher said like superpower it's just something i'm it's like a talent i have and i've come back to the school here several times and given talks and i'm always told that too like it's just like yeah uh, like my my most recent lecture I posted on YouTube where I'm giving an actual like in a lecture hall. It's like I consider it more of like a a special per se than like a, like a lecture because the way I edit it and it's like I really enjoy comedy and stuff and I, I do it that way. Um, but like it it's more of like an art form to me. I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And yeah. there's Bill Nye and there's Neil Tyson and now there's Andrew Heberman. Um, and like there's no school for that. Uh, yeah. I just went and I know I wanted to do archaeology, but I want and see everyone, I guess, too, back in the day. I wanted to do that as an adult and like being told that in my master's and like presenting and like I also pulled things like right out of my ass somehow. Um, uh, I'm an Aquarius, though. I don't know what that means in terms of organization. Probably none. But <laughs> uh, I yeah, I, I, I had a job. I was a curator for three years managing a lab. And I just, this stuff picked up and I was like, I'm going to do it and just went for it. And I'm scraping still. Uh, I mean, I'm doing okay. It's just not anywhere where I used to be paid, but I love it. So that's, that's good. And um, a thing I realized too, doing all this like therapy and taking the plunge to do this, this job and leave my other one, my friend brought up a, something called aphantasia. Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. Okay. I didn't know I have it. Um, and <gasps> it blew my mind so hard when I learned this. I got vertigo and like had to lay down because it fundamentally changed how I viewed the world. Like I I don't know if that's what Buddhists mean when they find nirvana or like what 
but something physically clicked in my body that like shifted my perspective and I don't see anything visually. It's just all concepts. I don't have like an internal monologue. I I can have one if I think about it. Um, I can think in like Morgan Freeman's voice or something, but like I don't actively like dictate what I'm looking at. I just feel it in emotion. Right. Right. Um, And that made so much communication errors in my life and breakdowns make so much more sense. Like when someone's like, are you even listening to me? I'm like, I am. I just can't see the day you're describing to me, you know? Right. Right. um, Because for those who are not familiar with it, aphantasia is like, you literally have an issue with visualizing in your mind. Right. And you you brought up the thing with with the dog, like the visualizing the suitcase and stuff. And like, I... Uh, like if years ago, I thought that was all just metaphor. Like you just picture yourself in five years. Like I was just doing right, the other right. day, jokes about this, but like people literally count sheep. I, I thought it was just a metaphor. Um, yeah. but I can still think about that suitcase and like, know like the spatial, like what it, what it is. Like it's got a zipper, you know, it's like all that, like my dog might know that too. Um, but in, in terms of not just to talk about dogs, but communication and it's made like the talking with my hands and how I present it makes so much more sense because I can finally like when I make a video express things in my head that I could not before um and because I can do it visually so like video making and presenting and stuff is something that like I think I'm good at it because of that like there's right yeah there's no principal form of it in my head I just have to get it out onto like a canvas if that makes sense and then yeah it made, yeah made art make so much more sense to me yeah anyway I'm going on a tangent but no that's um, amazing I'm glad you found something too that just like clicked for you like that because it yeah it's I think it's I don't say it's our duty to like express that to the world but I do believe like especially in math class as a kid I got I didn't ever get held back but I failed the math class in high school the teacher would always just be like, I right, just do it in your head. Like, you know, do the multiplication. I could not. So I thought there yeah. was something wrong with me or I was dumb. Um, so inner city kids or someone, you know, in like rural Mexico that is learning math or reading a specific way is just going to think they're inferior their whole life because it's not how everyone else thinks. Exactly. Um, so I, I wish I could just tell everybody like, you know, there's people who can visualize people who can't. So how do we teach them? And yeah. So I just like telling people that. Yeah. Absolutely. No, thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it's really important. Cause like you're saying, we are taught that there are particular norms and particular ways of engaging with the world. And when you don't engage that way, you internalize that as like, you're saying that there's something wrong with me. And it, I think that actually then limits as well, the way your superpowers to engage with the world. Right. You know, and, and I, I think you're right. Like it, it is our duty just to, to be who we are. And I think so much of our journey, I'll speak for myself, but I think a lot of people feel this way that so much of our adult journey is about undoing the childhood journey. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's what a lot of the inner child work is actually about is we get conditioned when we're young and what they say, like what, by age seven, you're basically kind of set, you know, in terms of your personality and, and your worldviews, like in terms of how you 
um, see yourself in the world. And then we just sort of expand on that. And I feel like there are these, these moments that some people have, um, that might be termed like a spiritual awakening or a dark night of the soul, where you go through these really big, almost like nihilistic periods, like what's the point, you know, mm-hmm. these big the questionings. And those are the gateways for us to be able to reflect back and see, it's not that there's an issue with me. It's that I've come to a point on my journey where I'm questioning all of this conditioning, all of this stuff that has told me who I am and how I need to show up in the world. And if I embrace this, I have the opportunity to say, that's not true. I can choose something different. I can start to explore who I am in a different way with a different light and explore what my gifts are. And that's what I bring to the world and shine. Yeah. Um, I'm pausing because I'm trying to find a way to to recap that to agree, but whatever you just said, yes, a hundred percent. Like <laughs> um I went through a period where it was just like, what is wrong? Like, what is the pro? And then like figured that out. Um, yeah, especially after like a communication breakdown in a relationship and it ended it. It was just like, what? Like, and then I found that out and I was like, oh my God. Okay, I feel so much better. Um, but yeah, it just uh spiritual awakening, I guess would be the word or just like i i was fully more in a scientific way i understand how my brain works psychologically and like cerebrally if that makes sense um absolutely yeah Um, yeah how you how you process the world yeah it's just your experience of it yeah it's just different and i I saw van gogh's self-portrait at the met in new york and Mm -hmm. i had like this was before I learned all that, but I had like an emotional reaction to it and I didn't know why. Uh, and I was just like, what? Like, and he was painting depression or like anxiety or something. There's like waves like rippling from his face. Yeah. He's got the straw yeah. hat on. And I, I didn't realize that at the time. Um, but like looking back and then learning more about Van Gogh, like he lived at a time where it probably wasn't normal to talk about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously he was kind of tortured uh but like the only way he could express that whether he had visual images or not he had to put it on canvas to paint it and that's why Mm -hmm. it's like yeah consider it like genius um so i just not that everyone needs to be a prolific painter or neil degrasse tyson but like everybody probably has something like that that they can express themselves through be it sports or something you know and i just i hope everyone can find that yeah yeah mine's clearly dogs i'm assuming yours too yeah, but, very much so. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. But he's even seeing how dogs fit in that bigger picture of really asking us, you know, that question I posed to you earlier, like, what does it mean to be human? I think that's like at the core of a lot of these questions, because even with the climate change stuff, one of the the takes that I had on it was really diving into how we as humans have organized the world around what we think we should be doing our worldview our perspective and from this place of like the the earth being a resource for us to consume versus as you were alluding to around um, archaeology and resources like something we're meant to protect Mm -hmm. something we're, we're meant to ensure is still here you know that idea of like i think a, a lot of um cultures kind of have this perspective on on one way or another of like, 
we living now, existing now, are borrowing from our children and grandchildren. We're borrowing from them. We we owe it to them to yeah. make sure that we preserve the earth, that we preserve resources. And I, I, I again think that so much of that ties back to how we start to understand who we are and what we're meant to be doing, both at an individual level, but also at a, a kind of broader collective level. And dogs are part of that for me, for sure, mm-hmm. of reflecting back and looking at the various systems that they are embedded in with us and how they offer opportunities to revision those systems. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's that. The they're a fundamental part of the human experience. I guess is like what I I, yeah. I would counter that with, or I, what's the word? Agree with that with like. Uh, there are some cultures that don't have dogs. Like especially in ancient times, dogs didn't make it through the tropics very well. Um, dingoes made it to Australia, which were domestic dogs that then went wild and became dingoes, but um. South America too. It wasn't until much later that dogs got there. Regardless, I think from ten thousand years ago and the ending of, or the beginning of the Neolithic on, having a dog is a fundamental aspect of like what it means to be human and and being human because you're. It's like tool making, and I, I consider dogs a tool too. They're a biotechnology. Like I talked about that in the lecture too. Like, yeah, it's a it, it's it's a. You know that Boston Dynamics robot thing with the yeah, the four yeah. legs. It's it's shitty. Like it it like yeah. it can't hunt. It can't search and rescue yet. It can walk, but like we've had for fourteen thousand years now, twenty thousand years, that same exact model robot. It's just organic, and like yeah. we've been making it do these things for forever. And I I, I think if you look at dogs that way, it's even more of a gift because it, it's just. You can literally whistle 10,000 years ago and herd goats and like, here we are now, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's profound. Yeah. So what do you yeah. think the future is for dogs and humans? Uh, I know you haven't seen I Am Legend, but I assume you've seen other apocalyptic movies before. Yeah. Um, if you notice, there's always a dog. Um, I'd say 70% of the maybe 80 have dogs in them. Um, and it's just, I think like the Maya and the Aztecs believing, you know, dogs helped create humanity. Um, or like there were dogs before humans existed in our final forms today. Um, like in, in those in those stories, final forms. Um, there will always be dogs in the future because they are a, you know, a wolf adapted to life among Homo sapiens. They will find a way. And like the same way that humans in the apocalypse have to scavenge for canned beans and like what little animals are left say it's a nuclear wasteland or um other apocalypse like the last of us i don't know if you saw that um i'd say it's a it's a green apocalypse where it's a fungus takes over the world and like people get infected by this fungus um and like everything reverts back to green like boston's like a jungle um or a forest again and uh, there's dogs in, in that story. But r- regardless, I think uh, there will always be dogs scavenging and doing exactly what they do around the environments that humans have made and or left. Uh, so that will always exist. And in terms of a non-sad apocalypse, if we just continue on <laughs> to like the 
just a, a regular future as we're hopefully going into uh, dogs will get much more varied and uh kind of like technology smaller and faster uh smaller and smarter or bigger and smarter because you can do any reverse it with dogs um and i never really gave too much thought into this answer but just hopefully we we get rid of like you know dogs that don't breathe well or have spinal problems and the breeding processes like we're moving past that i think um but they will be there they they always will find a way um and a, a coyote is a solid example of that like they are also a wolf um that is adapted to life not among people but like just life with wolves as the main predator but well coyotes as scavengers they're natural dogs um <laughs> coyotes the more you kill them and the more you try to get rid of them the more there are because the females will produce more offspring when they know the population's down and coyotes live in every city in north america and like are now on long island they're getting into manhattan sometimes and like that's a solid example like that if yeah. humans are gone will the dogs will convert revert back to that state um, right i believe yeah to, to answer that question yeah 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 Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Is there anything that I've not asked you about that you'd like to talk about? Mm. Never had that question asked either. Uh, I would say in terms of just to proselytize anthropology, it's something that I didn't, I knew like paleoanth existed, like studying hominids and like Lucy and all that and apes. But I didn't really realize cultural anthropology or how archaeology, how involved it is, because I just thought archaeology was Indiana Jones or digging up temples in Italy. But it fundamentally is a subject that needs to be taught in high school. Uh, I think it'd make everybody a better, because they even teach sociology in high school sometimes. Yeah. Um, make people a better person. And a, a professor put it this way on, on our podcast. He said, and I try to tell this to everybody, there's two kinds of people, and there are one kind. You can have Somali neighbors that move in next door, and you can open up the blinds and stare at them every day and wonder what they're doing and be suspicious and be like, I don't want them here. Or there's the other type of person who would walk over and invite them over for dinner and ask them about Somalia and Islam. And um, if more people just viewed life that way with curiosity more so than fear um and carl sagan said it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness it's like i always like that quote in that sense um i think the world would be just a, not not to say like in the cliche a better place i think the world would be a much more open and receptive place where like everybody enjoys learning and is curious more than angry yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that would be my answer to that awesome Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for this. And I'm wondering too, where you would like people to go to learn more about you and your work. Uh, you can just look at my name, David Ian Howe. Um, people think it's Davidian, but uh, it's that I don't know why my parents thought that would be, didn't think that that would be funny. Um, I was born two weeks after that happened. Um, but um, the yeah, David Ian Howe, and you can find that my YouTube, my TikTok is that. And I have two Instagrams. My personal is David Ian Howe, but if you also look up David, you'll find Ethnosynology is my main public account. And I would say 
Instagram is where I am most active and have the biggest community. And on Instagram, like if I post something, people always comment and there's conversations, which I, I really enjoy. Excellent. Excellent. And I'll yeah. make sure to include all of that in the show notes too. So people can click on that and find you. Thanks. Excellent. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being one of my inaugural guests on this first season of Mystic Dog Mama podcast. It has been so great chatting with you. And I think I would be so happy if you agreed to come back at another point too and just continue this. Yeah, I consider you, this is a thing I do with podcasts a lot of time. I just, I enjoy talking. So I consider you a friend at this point. Uh, we've, we've had enough rapport. So you hit me up anytime. Happy to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for joining us. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with my very special guest, David Ian Howe. David is an absolute wealth of knowledge on the co-evolution of dogs and humans and presenter extraordinaire. If you'd like to learn more about him and his work, check out his website, davidianhowe.com, as well as his Instagram account, Ethnosynology. I've included these in the show notes too. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and come on over to Instagram and let me know what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode. I'd love to hear. You can connect with me at Mystic Dog Mama. Okay, see you next time.